Welcome to today's devotional about Matthew chapter 11. Let's read it. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Meanwhile, John heard in prison about the works of Christ, and he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who was to come, or should we look for someone else? Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you see and hear. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the one who does not fall away on account of me. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed swaying in the wind? Otherwise, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? Look, those who wear fine clothing are found in king's palaces. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written. Behold, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, there has risen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet even the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subject to violence, and the violent lay claim to it. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. He who has ears, let him hear. To what can I compare this generation? They are like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling out to others. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, He has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Look at this glutton and drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is vindicated by her actions. Then Jesus began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles had been performed because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to heaven? No, you will be brought down to Hades. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. But I tell you that it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. At that time, Jesus declared, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was well-pleasing in your sight. All things have been entrusted to me by my Father. No one knows the Son, no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And this is God's word.
Now here's my devotional on Matthew chapter 11. Can you prove the existence of God? Can you prove that the Bible is true? That it really is the word of God as we claim it is and not just a human book? Those seem like reasonable questions, don't they? But they are not reasonable questions at all. They are expressions of unbelief, not genuine inquiries from open hearts that want to know God. How do I know that? Because Jesus said so here in Matthew chapter 11, verses 12 through 19. The greatest evangelist in history, other than Christ himself, was not Billy Graham or John Calvin or Charles Haddon Spurgeon or anyone else. It's John the Baptist, according to verse 11. Yet despite his witness and the testimony of all the prophets and the law, according to verse 13, God's kingdom has been subject to violence, according to verse 12. In other words, violent people, according to verse 12, have been attacking God, his authority, his lordship, his dominion, and his truth. And that assault continues today. One way unbelievers attack the Lord and his kingdom is by setting new standards. Do this or prove that, says the unbeliever. And then I'll consider believing in Jesus. In verses 17 through 19, Jesus pointed out the ever-shifting requirements for faith that unbelievers set up for us. The point of Jesus' proverb, we played the pipe for you and you did not dance, is that people want to be in control of the conditions under which they will believe in him. If they demand proof of the resurrection, you'd better provide it to them, and they will, or they will continue to scoff at our faith. If they believe the Bible is full of errors, you could answer every problem verse they mention, and they'll just come up with more. Jesus said that he himself and John were the perfect set of examples of this fickle unbelief. He said that in verses 18 and 19. John and Jesus were totally on the same page with their faith and their mission. But they couldn't have been more different as Jewish men. John was strict, austere, and took no prisoners in his life and approach to others. But unbelievers said about him, he's demon-possessed, according to verse 18. By contrast, Jesus flouted the conventional wisdom about how you had to live to please God. He didn't live in disobedience to God's law, but he did willfully disobey many of the false standards, the norms and so on that the Pharisees and others tried to get him to live by. Yet unbelievers in his world said he was, quote, a glutton or a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So neither Jesus nor John could satisfy the objections of those who rejected the gospel. Why not? Because they were not genuine objections. They were excuses. Excuses for unbelief. Unbelief remains the same today. Can you prove the existence of God? Yes. Creation and conscience prove it daily. Unbelievers, however, reject that proof because they want dance music, not the funeral dirge, like verse 17 says. Can you prove that the Bible is true? Yes, your life and mine daily prove the truth all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, according to Romans 3.23. But that's not good enough for the fallen. Believers should not dance to the music of unbelief. People don't genuinely come to Christ when we dance to their tune. 
They need a spiritual transformation, a new birth, as John 3 would refer to it, not better answers or better arguments. Those who become believers do so because the Son chooses to reveal the Father, according to verse 25. Not to the wise and learned, as verse 25 says, but to those who believe like little children. Like Jesus and John, our job is to faithfully explain the message and call people to repent. Our job is to extend the invitation that Jesus gave, come to me and I will give you rest, as we saw in verse 28. Is there someone in your life you can share this life-giving news with today? Is there someone you can show the hope of eternal life in Jesus Christ to? I hope you can and I hope you will. May God bless you this day as you seek to witness and serve him. And we'll see you next time.